There are very few towns in North Korea that non-North Koreans can lay eyes on. Kijongdong, just outside the demilitarized zone, is one of them, with swaths of farmland, bright blue roofs on all the buildings, and a large school set against the hills. It looks like the embodiment of its nickname, Peace Village. So, where are all the children? I'm Quinn Lovecraft, and this is 31, a podcast about everything in between. In 1953, an armistice agreement was signed that halted the Korean War. No peace treaty was signed, so technically this war never ended. But truce and terms were reached by the UNC, the Korean People's Army, and the Chinese People's Volunteer Army. And this happened after two years of trying to reach an agreement, which set a new record for longest armistice negotiation in history. But they did it. The active fighting stopped, prisoners of war were released, troops were sent home, and they agreed on what the other side was and was not allowed to do. This also established the Demilitarized Zone, or DMZ, a two and a half mile wide border that acts as a buffer between the two sides. The DMZ's location was chosen because it was the last point of contact that the opposing forces had with each other. Both sides, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, shortened to DPRK and colloquially known as North Korea, and South Korea, got just over a mile in either direction to do with what they'd like, as long as it didn't violate the armistice agreement. The DMZ, which still exists today as it did in 1953, is just about two and a half miles wide and extends from one side of the peninsula to the other, splitting Korea just about in half. North Korea and South Korea both have a town just past the DMZ that's visible from the other side. South Korea has Daesongdong, a town with farmland, blue roofs, an elementary school, and a loudspeaker that blasts K-pop in the direction of North Korea. North Korea has Kijongdong, a town with farmland, blue roofs, an elementary school, and a loudspeaker that blasts pro-DPRK in the direction of South Korea. Even though it's dangerous to be that close to North Korea, South Korea encourages citizens to live in Daesongdong by waiving their mandatory military service and taxes. North Korea encourages citizens to live in Kijongdong by... Well... They don't. No one lives in Kijongdong. North Korea says they do. Of course people live there. Why would they have a town and farmland where nobody lives there? But this town is visible to anyone who visits the DMZ, and what do people see when they look at it? Windows that aren't really windows because they're boarded over or missing glass. What do people not see when they look at Kijongdong? People. Citizens, specifically. Every once in a while you can spot someone, but they look suspiciously like soldiers. Sometimes in uniform, sometimes almost cosplaying as citizens. And I could never find a single report of a child being spotted in Kijongdong. So you have to wonder who this is for, exactly. It's widely reported that Kijongdong exists to convince South Koreans to defect to North Korea by showing a beautiful, serene, rural town. South Koreans even call it Propaganda Village. But that's interesting because that's a really big ask. Even if someone from South Korea wanted to defect to North Korea, it would be really hard. Not just because the South Korean side would stop them. The border is full of landmines and barbed wire and armed guards. Not to say no one has tried. I mean, in 2022, a man from South Korea crossed the DMZ and over the border into North Korea. The South Korean government searched for him, but they weren't even sure he was alive still. And as far as we know, they didn't find him. It is possible that the North Korean side did pull him to safety, because that's happened on the other side. There is footage that has shown South Korean soldiers pulling North Korean defectors to safety. In 2019, this happened to Oh Chong Song. But he wasn't a civilian, he was a North Korean soldier, so he kind of had a head start. 
In fact, most people who defect from North Korea do so by way of China, where the border is much longer at about 840 miles. And it's unlikely that the man who went from South Korea to North Korea in 2022 did so because he saw Ki Jong-dong and said, oh, yeah, I'm going to risk my life to get there. From interviews with defectors, it seems like the biggest motivation for people to go to North Korea from South Korea is to actually go back to North Korea to be with their families who they had previously left, not because they believe in North Korea's promise of a better life. It's also, I guess, possible that Ki Jong-dong is supposed to be propaganda for the rest of the world, not just South Koreans. Tourists can gaze upon it and say, huh, that doesn't look so bad. That's not scary at all. That does not look like the North Korea I've been taught about my entire life. Maybe it's my government that's been lying to me. I mean, that's what North Korea would hope, right? The demilitarized zone is actually kind of a tourist hotspot. It sees 1.2 million visitors every year. That is a lot of people. But still, that's nothing compared to the global stage. North Korea has tried very hard to combat the testimonies from defectors and rescued prisoners who have detailed how starving and impoverished the citizens are and describe the prison camps as actual hell. In fact, North Korea will sometimes obtain foreigners, but they treat them better than their citizens because they want to use them as bargaining chips. Like in the case of Otto Warmbier. Otto Warmbier was an Ohio native studying at the University of Virginia. When he was 21 years old, he toured North Korea. There's grainy footage of a man about Otto's height and build stealing a pro-regime propaganda poster from a restricted area of a hotel. And this was enough for the government to convict him to 15 years of hard labor. Otto pled for mercy, but even his plea had an odd ring to it. The statement felt rehearsed and scripted, and he claimed to have done it because several different organizations from a church in Ohio, even though he was Jewish, to a secret society, asked him to. His alleged crime supposedly took place in early January of 2016. And after about a year of back and forth, in June of 2017, the American government finally got Otto back. At least, his body. He was technically still alive, but North Korean officials warned that he'd suffered some kind of brain trauma. Otto's mind was gone. He wasn't completely unconscious when his plane landed in America. I mean, not really. He would howl and jerk his limbs against his stretcher, but then his condition would only worsen, despite intense care by a medical team that worked hard to find out what exactly happened to him. North Korea said it was a bad reaction to a sleeping pill combined with botulism, but the medical staff said, no, this is not botulism. And a week later, Otto was dead. The American government immediately railed against North Korea, and many articles came out about how even though we don't know exactly what happened to Otto, he was tortured and beaten and pliers had been taken to his teeth. And it's worth noting that this isn't exactly true. An article for GQ by Doug Bach-Clark provides statements from medical records and a coroner that shows Otto's brain injury was likely from lack of oxygen not from being beaten. And not only had his injury occurred pretty immediately after his sentencing, but he received round-the-clock medical care. There were documents provided that said so, and sure, I guess documents could be forged, but he didn't have any bed sores on him. And if you're in any kind of medical profession, you know that that takes a lot of effort. Now, given what we know, it's very likely he was treated this way not out of compassion, but because he was a valuable bargaining chip at a time when America was electing a new president and there was a lot of negotiating going on. Otto being in anything other than good health just wouldn't have been very useful to them. So the American government turning around and saying Otto came back and died because of how inhumanely he was being treated by North Korea was basically them pulling an uno reverse. 
What happened to Otto was completely unfair and a huge tragedy. But I mean, even I believed his teeth had been pulled out with pliers before doing research on this topic. So this serves as a valuable reminder that even though we are not North Korea, no one is immune to propaganda. And I also hope that realizing Otto was used on both sides reminds us to remember that when we suddenly start hearing about how horrible North Korea is, there's probably a motive behind inserting it back into the conversation. Because we could be having these conversations at any point. At any given time, there are thousands of victims of the North Korean regime, as most are North Koreans themselves, who are starved, imprisoned, and put in concentration camps, given little so the people on top can have a lot whether it's food or control. Those travesties are out there despite North Korea's attempts at silencing them, and a thousand Kijongdongs can't combat the atrocities. So yeah, maybe Kijongdong is a feeble attempt at propaganda, but I really think it just comes down to one word, pettiness. The most prominent feature of Kijongdong is the 525 foot flagpole. It kind of looks like a bright blue skinny Eiffel Tower. This was erected in direct response to Daesong Dong's 323-foot flagpole. And in 2015, when Daesong Dong renovated its buildings, suddenly Kijong Dong's buildings were repainted too. So I think it all kind of boils down to one idea. South Korea cannot appear to have anything that North Korea doesn't. We know that the differences between the nations could not be more vast, but North Korea must take pride in showing tourists at the DMZ that they're not so different, maybe even better. I'd love to test this theory by putting a 300-foot-tall dinosaur statue in Daesongdong to see if Kijongdong responds with one of their own, but I also don't want to give North Korea any opportunity to appear whimsical. Those in power in North Korea are dangerous and a bit unpredictable, which can make us feel powerless to help the people who suffer there. So the least we can do is aim our binoculars a little past Kijongdong and remember the citizens there who deserve food, dignity, and a life without fear. Thank you for listening to 31. For photos of Kijongdong, check out our Instagram, at 31pod31. As always, I'll be back tomorrow and every day in October with another true bizarre story from our complicated world. Stay safe and stay spooky. <laughs>